0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Paul writes to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. Gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is a very essential part of life. Uh, Take, for instance, sports teams. Uh, You need a manager and a general manager who are on the same page. Otherwise, one ends up in Florida talking about how rich he's going to be. And the new boat that he's going to have. It's important in business. If you have a sales team and a production team, if the sales team is saying this is what the customers are asking for, but the production team is saying, no, this is what they need, there will be conflict. It's similar in, in church. If you have a pastor on staff who says the only way to do evangelism is for us to go out and just speak the truth. Speak the truth over and over again. Come up to people, cold style, whatever it is. But we just need to get out there and tell them. But another pastor says, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. Really what we want to do is we want to develop friendships. We want to get together with people, sit in coffee shops, have conversations. That causes tension. You need unity in families. It's kind of like when you discipline your children and you tell them, okay, this is what's going to happen and this is how it's going to happen. And then your spouse comes home and says, ah, Kids will be kids, let them go, right? That's not going to work for too long. There's the necessity of unity. But I would have to say as important as it is in all of those areas of life, it's most important among the body of Christ. The body of Christ, our unity is one way that we show the world that Jesus truly exists, If Jesus is able to bring someone who is a zealot or slash type terrorist together with a government IRS official and make them brothers who love one another as Christ loves them, that shows the world that Jesus is real. Paul here is talking about unity, perhaps with the words of Jesus in mind. But he says pretty clearly as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. If you had the new American standard, you'd actually have the word walk there. And walk is the same thing or the same meaning that the word live. But what Paul's saying is, therefore, in, in light of, of all the things that I've talked about in the first three chapters, the necessity to be in Christ... To be in Christ in order to follow Christ is first and foremost most important. But when you are in Christ, when you are in relationship, that love that you have for Christ should flow over to the body that he has, the body of Christ. I remember when I first entered into ministry about 24 years ago, and I was doing youth ministry, and I was a part of two different groups—one in Schaumburg and one in the Glenview area. And I remember there were two people in each group that I kind of considered favorites. Of course, you're not supposed to have favorites, but you know, I, I will admit at that time I don't anymore. I love you all equally, but back then, uh, when I was immature, I had favorites, and uh, it always astounded me how they really couldn't get along with each other. I didn't understand how I could have. Um, uh, an affinity towards them separately and they couldn't have an affinity towards each other that didn't make sense to me In the same way, I don't think it makes sense to jesus to look at his children and say I don't understand why y'all can't get along because we're family We may not agree about everything, but we are family and because we are family. We should be unified Paul says in living this life worthy a part of that is, is being unified verse 2. He says listen to this be completely humble. In other words, what he's really saying is not to think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. See the difference? Humility, kind of like we sit there and say, well, if I'm really humble, I'm going to say, oh, I'm so terrible and I'm not really good at that. And you know what we're really doing is somebody is fishing for someone to say, no, 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 you're 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 okay. But that's not humility. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking about ourselves less. It's the idea of putting other people first. So Paul's saying here, listen, you want to walk worthy, you want people to see what it is an example of being in Christ. Well, one of the first things that you do is you walk humbly. Think less. About yourself, your interests, your desires, your agenda, and think more about other people, their pains, their hurts, their struggles, their difficulties. Humble yourself in that manner. But then he goes on and he says, also, be gentle. And the idea of being gentle is is kind of like, Uh, being mild or self-controlled. One of the uh, writers that I was reading said it's kind of like being a tamed horse. Usually when we think of Jesus meek and mild, we think of someone who kind of is afraid to be confrontational, someone who doesn't want to step on other people's toes or someone who's just going to be politically correct all the time. But when scripture talks about being mild, it talks about someone who has a strength, but they control that strength. So when we say that Jesus was meek or gentle we are talking about a jesus who has the power to react but does not because he controls himself there is power and yet there is control and what he's really saying is in this sense like a tamed horse be gentle be usable be there i mean if you have a horse that is a wild horse it's useless it's no good but a tamed horse even in battle is a serious weapon he goes on then, he says, be patient. The idea is a long-suffering, long-suffering. I don't know if you guys uh, really remember the story of uh, Stanley and, and Livingston, how Stanley went to Africa and he lived with Dr. Livingston among the um, among the tribes. And, and he realized how Dr. Livingston, as a missionary for Christ, was so long-suffering. He, he bore up under so much in order to reach these people for Christ. And that's the idea. So that Stanley kind of looked at him and said, I don't get How you have so much patience with these people, but because you are, I see Jesus and led to him following Christ even more. Paul goes on. He says, "Uh, bear with one another in love, that patient loss, that forbearance, that giving continuously and unconditionally, that agape kind of love that says, you know what? We we are family. I mean, I would like to say that my children uh, are perfect, but they're not. I, I would like to hear them say, Dad, you are perfect, but I'm not. I know that I'm not. But because we are family, there is an extension of unconditional love that says even though you have blown it, even though you have hurt my feelings, even you have done something that is offensive, because I love you unconditionally, I'm willing to forgive you. Because we are family. We are together. That's the idea. And then he finishes finally, make every effort or be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And really what's going on here is is the sense that Paul is saying, listen, I'm urging you to do something, and I'm urging you to be diligent. I'm urging you to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He's kind of like saying, make haste and be zealous. Chase after this thing like you would chase after a most prized possession or a treasure. Something that you hold on to dearly. I mean, almost in the sense that the way, almost in the way that a person who loves another person is willing to do anything for them. I mean, we've heard the love songs. What do the love songs say? I would uh, climb any mountain, cross any sea because I love you. And uh, what did that one guy say in uh, what's that uh, Indian movie? Um, Wherever you go, I will find you. What's the name of that movie? Okay, there you go. Last of the Mohicans. Why? Why do you say that? Because you know, like Shiji's thinking. What Indian movie? Nineteen. No, no, not that one. Last of the Mohicans. Was, you know, and that's the kind of love that that he's talking about. He's saying here, in that way, make haste, so that you are saying, "I will love you no matter what. I will walk with you no matter what. We may not agree. We may disagree vehemently." But because we are family, I will walk with you. And that's the idea that Paul's trying to express here, that keeping of of the unity in the spirit. It's not something that we can manufacture. Again, when we think about Jesus, I don't think Jesus was, was sitting there trying to manufacture something with his disciples who were so different, but because they had experienced God and seen who he was and then understood what it was like to be in Christ That unity was an expression of the Spirit already working in them. Which is why, again, the context in the first three chapters, Paul keeps reminding them, in Christ. In Christ. My understanding improves because I realized back in that early youth group, one of the reasons perhaps why those two people didn't get along is because they didn't understand what it meant to be in Christ. Paul was saying, Gentile... And Jew together is unheard of. To bring them together in family is outrageous. But now you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, your relationships change. And if you will walk in humility, if you will be gentle, if you will be patient, if you will be forbearing or bearing with one another in love, you will see unity in the spirit. But don't just let it happen as it should, but also play your part in being diligent, making haste, being zealous to make sure that this unity is a reflection of the body of Christ. Because when people see that unity among people who should be different, when Democrats and Republicans can get together and still love each other. When Cubs fans and Sox fans can get together and still love each other. When we as beer fans can put up with such iniquity of hearing the Green Bay Packers mentioned in our (laughs) worship service, you know there is unity. Right? That's the body of Christ. If we, as a family, live together even with our differences, people know or should know that God is real. Unity isn't just about being unified because it's a nice, happy feeling. I mean, it's nice to be part of a functional family where everyone gets along. That's great. But the deeper or theological reason behind all of it is because we are one in Christ. I'll look at the following verses. I wasn't going to look at them, but let's look at it anyway. It says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the theology that we need that helps us understand there is a oneness in God. There is a oneness in God's family. We are one. And to walk worthy is to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and unity. One of the things that I pray for my children because I realize that I'm not going to be here forever. My hope is, in a strange way, that they wouldn't have to see my parting and that I would live really long, but that means I'm going to live much longer than I am now. But my hope is when I do pass, and my children are still here, is that there is unity. I pray that they love each other for the rest of their lives. I pray that their desire is to serve one another for the rest of their lives. I pray that they are encouraging and strengthening one another for the rest of their lives. Because as a father, one of the things that breaks my heart is when my children fight or when they're angry with each other. Now, I recognize as a weak father as I am, we have a heavenly father who looks at his children, his family, whom he has adopted, whom he has redeemed and sealed with his spirit. He has brought them together to love, to be together, that a watching world will say, ah, that's Jesus. And only Jesus can do that. Here's what we want you to do now. In order to unify our hearts in some way with people that you might not necessarily know. We would like you, as you are in your groups with your table leader, to spend a little time now praying and sharing. And my suggestion would be this. Share what is the major thing that's going on now in your life. What is the trial or struggle or what is God doing? It could be even that God is doing something great. So it doesn't have to be negative. But it could be God is really moving in our lives and this is what's happening. And then pray for one another. And one of the things I noticed, and you don't have to do this at the table, but uh, being involved in small group, you know when you, the first person goes, everybody's like, yeah, 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 and then you remember. And then the second person goes, and the third person, and then the fourth person. And then by the time you get to the eighth person and we say, let's pray, what happens? What did you want us to pray for? Doesn't that hurt? Like, you weren't listening to me. So when you're done sharing, pray for that person right then and there. Have one person pray for them, how you do it or whatever, because that will then keep fresh in our mind. And the person will be ministered to. So let's share with one another as a body of Christ and share our unity in being able to approach Christ, to boldly approach that throne and say, Jesus, help us. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.